The peace of Christ be with you. We have good news today. Uh, Christ is risen and the heat works. So you can... You'll hear more about this in a little bit, but again, if, if this is your first week since we've closed off the rest of the building, just be, folks will be coming in, so you might need to scooch over and uh, try not to give them the evil eye if, if, if folks walk in. Parking is an issue, as you all know. As we gather into this place, let's slow down, take about three deep breaths that our awareness might expand to recognize the presence of the Spirit in our midst. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Will you please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship? God not only speaks to us, we are an expression of God. God equips all for their own special role in healing. Let us embrace the diversity of gifts in the blood of the let us learn to come together and employ ourselves in blessing the world. Let us
You may be seated. I want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. You may have noticed, if you weren't here last week, our construction has officially began. So I went through a few details last week that I'm going to repeat this week in case you missed it. Um, Those back doors are now off limits to us, so we're going to enter and exit the sanctuary by these side doors. If you should be in need of a restroom, we have some great restrooms right there. Um, the, The white ones that are sort of up on the trailer are full restrooms with running water and everything. If steps are difficult for you, we also have the gray one there, so feel free to use those. Our refreshments, we've moved right here into the sanctuary. We've got coffee and tea and donut holes right there in the back. So following worship, feel free to get some coffee and stay and visit with one another. You know what? Our name tag board is gone. So I've been telling people this is a perfect opportunity to learn people's names. So if there's someone that you may not know you haven't met, introduce yourself after worship and get to know each other just a little better. So with that, I think those are all the details. Let's join together in our community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Gracious God, you know us from the beginning. You dream alongside us, and you gift us along the way. The world is sprinkled with blessings for us to find and with opportunities for us to share our unique gifts. Let us not shy from your calling. Let us be secure in the measure of your grace. Let us offer a helpful word to a human world. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Friends, do not let your hearts be troubled, for God's hope and love and grace are for each and every one of us. Each of us is forgiven of all that separates us from the Holy One. Thanks be to God. Amen. So this is the Sunday of our birthday blessing. So if you have a birthday in January, or maybe if you missed a blessing in a previous month, I invite you to come forward. Well, come on forward then. All right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you all to stand right here so everyone can see your beautiful birthday faces. There we go. So I want to share with you all today... One of my favorite January poems. I find it especially meaningful in this time after Christmas. It's a poem that may be familiar to some of you, written by the great Howard Thurman. It says this, When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, 
to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. So when I read this, my hope and my prayer for you is twofold. One, that you may participate in some of this, in the finding of the lost, in the healing of the broken. But I also hope and pray on your birthday throughout this year that you may be the recipient of some of this as well, that you may know God's peace, that you may know music in your heart. May it be so for each one of you. Happy birthday. be seated and I'd like to invite any of the children worshiping with us to join me here at the front. Good morning everyone, good to see you all today. So I was doing some thinking this week about temptation Kind of a big word. Some of you may know what temptation is. Some of you may not. Um, I don't know about you, but I am always tempted to eat dessert before dinner. I mean, come on, it's the best part, right? Why wait? Such a temptation. And so then I was thinking, I was thinking, you know what? I really, I really hope that people like me. You know, I really hope that, that people think good things about me. So, so I was thinking maybe what I could do is I'm kind of tempted to just throw a big party. Right, I got some streamers here. Just go all out through this huge party, and then maybe people will, you know, think good things about me, and they'll like me. Um, then I was thinking, you know, I was looking through our, our supply closet, and I found all these stickers. And I, see, I knew it. See, I thought maybe if I gave out some stickers, you want a butterfly? Yeah. Uh huh. Do you like me more now? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Anyone else want a sticker? Yeah. Okay. See. Let's see here. Oh, oh, a bumblebee. All right. See? Uh, no, you're not a sticker. Anyone else a sticker person? All right. Well, you know where to find me if you decide you want a sticker. And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could just acquire lots of money. And then maybe people will think good things about me. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll like me then. All of these temptations, big parties. But then I was reminded that I don't actually need to do any of this. Now, it's good to be kind to others, right? It's good to give some stickers to people every now and then. But you know what? I am enough just as I am. I don't need any of this stuff. I don't need to be tempted by any of this good stuff in order for people to like me, in order to be a good person. You know, all I need to do is follow what God calls me to do, to be kind and loving. I am good enough just as I am. And I was thinking about this because you all are going to hear a story about a time when Jesus was tempted. And he was tempted to show how powerful he was, to show off all the great things he could do. 
But you know what he said? He said, no, thank you. He said, you know what? I am enough just as I am. Jesus said, I know God loves me just as I am. I don't have to show off or prove my goodness to anyone because God loves me just as I am. No need for me to be tempted by anything else. So I want you to think about that as you go to Sunday school and hear that story. You each are enough loved by God just as you are. So as we prepare to go to Sunday school, I'm going to invite Thomas to come up here with me. He and I are going to help lead you out. We are your teachers today. And then what I'm going to do is give the middle schoolers a little bit of a head start. So middle schoolers who are sitting out there, I'm going to let you head over to those doors. All right. And then you all are going to come with Thomas and me as we head out to Sunday school. Once again, for the parents, if you weren't here last week, all of our Sunday school classes are happening in the preschool building. So to find your children after worship, you're going to go out, cut through the parking lot very carefully, and we will all be there in the preschool building. So that's where you'll be able to find your children. Okay. So Thomas and I are going to lead you there and we're going to stop right under that awning and get ourselves arranged. All right. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. You know, today we're going to do something called a bidding prayer. And I know a number of us have done this before, but I thought maybe I'd take a minute and just introduce what in the world a bidding prayer is. It's a very ancient part of Christian liturgy. It was, came along right at the beginning of the development of Christianity. And what it is is that the leader bids you to pray about someone or about something, and you take a moment with yourself to let the request kind of sink in and see what it is that you might respond to in that. And sometimes we find ourselves with a name. Sometimes we find ourselves being reminded of a circumstance. Sometimes we find ourselves actually, oh, that hit home. And if we are so led, we are then invited to speak that aloud, were we to wish to. That's an entirely appropriate response. It's also perfectly okay to get there and decide, mm, I think I'll just do this within. It's kind of messy, you know, because everybody's kind of talking at the same time, and you can't hear the other person, and we're used to listening for what others say. But that's not the point here. The point is God hears that prayer the moment it originates in our heart, and the strength of that prayer in community is exponentially made greater by the, all of us doing this together. So today, let us pray together. And I will bid you to pray for those who are grieving, for those who've suffered the loss of a loved one and are reorienting themselves. I bid you to pray for those who are ill and in pain. And for the families who are caring for them. 
bid you to pray for the elderly people being challenged by aging. I bid you to pray for those who are experiencing housing insecurity, economic hardship, job uncertainty, sometimes all three. I bid you to pray for the places in our world torn by hatred, wrecked by violence, bid you to pray for those working diligently to protect the planet from unwise human use of natural resources. I bid you to pray that we might offer a helping hand, lend a peaceful presence, speak a pertinent word of support. I bid you to pray that we become agents of God's peace. Dear God, these are the cries of our hearts. Help us to remember that you are always present and help us receive that truth so it makes a difference to the way we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Amen. The first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, the 49th chapter, the first seven verses. Listen to these words of the prophet and listen within them for the words of the Spirit, not just to those for whom it was written, but to us today. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born, while I was in my mother's womb. God named me. God made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of God's hand, God hid me. God made me a polished arrow. In God's quiver, God hid me away. And God said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be God's servant, to bring Jacob back to God, and that Israel might be gathered to God. For I'm honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and the Lord's Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading for today comes from 1 Corinthians 1. It's verses 1 through 9. Let's listen to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us in these passages. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you've been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. 
I have on my desk an article that has been forwarded to me more times than any other article in my entire ministry, <laughs> which is only about four, but work with me for the, for the drama, most ever. It's sitting there right now. Anybody have a guess what it is? It was, it was an op-ed written at the end of the year in the New York Times, I think it was December 28th, by Nicholas Kristof. Ring a bell? It was called, This Was the Best Year Ever. If you didn't read it, Kristof uh, begins with this list of measurables that point to the progress happening in our world. And he talked about all kinds of things, record numbers of people uh, having access to clean water for the first time. Likewise, numbers of people now who have access to electricity for the first time. Well, those numbers are going up. He points to other numbers, thankfully, going down. The declining numbers of people who live in extreme poverty. The decreased infant mortality rates around the planet. The decline in devastating diseases, some of which you probably didn't know still existed, such as leprosy, which is still in this world. Polio, still in the world. HIV and AIDS, all going down. Again, on the upward swing, he talks about rates of literacy going up all around the planet, particularly education and literacy for women. And we know how radically that transforms society when that happens. And he leaves us to conclude, looking at that evidence, that we can only say this is a hopeful time. I wonder if that's how you would characterize it. It's not the story many of us hear, or many of us may feel, or share. And Christoph is not ignoring the real challenges in the world. He, he mentions many of them and acknowledges that he writes about them regularly. He names them and you can name them too. The threat of international conflict, even war. The deeply divided populace here at home. Large challenges facing the whole planet. Climate, ecological breakdown. He says, in fact, there is so much wrong with the world. But then he says this, and I think this is the most telling quote of the whole piece. It's one that many referenced, actually. He says, I worry that deep pessimism about the state of the world is paralyzing rather than empowering. I'm sorry for his ableist use of the word paralyzing, but I think we know what he's going for. He says excessive pessimism can leave people feeling not just hopeless, but helpless. I think that strikes the chord. I think that's the quote that has spoken to so many of you. And you're not the only ones who forwarded it to me. Uh, it's made, that article has made the rounds among clergy circles as we have wrestled with the kind of narratives to which we contribute and forced to ask ourselves the question, do we lend ourselves to the narrative of doom and gloom so much that it leaves the people trusted to our care to be resigned 
to feel helpless to affect the realities about which they care so deeply? It's an important set of questions for us to consider. Is that pessimism so strong in some of us, not all of us, that we feel we have nothing to offer? Now, we know in part why the media embraces that narrative, and I know the media doesn't speak with one voice, but things that make us anxious make us pay attention. And if we pay attention, they get money. That's what keeps it going. It generates clicks. It generates viewership. And the cynical side of me uh, recognizes that if we can be kept anxious, then we can keep people who want to sell us things to make us feel better making lots of money because there's always the next product to to put on that wound like a salve. None of them will satisfy, but they're always there for us to buy. Well, I don't want to be cynical. I don't think you all want to be cynical. I don't think you want to be hopeless. I think you don't want to be helpless. As people of faith, aren't we supposed to be people of both hope and help? In the model of the one we claim to follow, Jesus, who also didn't turn away from all the difficult things in the world, but yet in the midst of them was able to lift up a new vision was able to uh, inspire people to join him in giving birth to a new reality. The reality which is not about escaping this God-forsaken place, but rather it's about bringing together in a holy merger heaven and earth right here. Thy kingdom come. That's what he prays and teaches us to pray and asks us to step as a people one step at a time closer to that reality. The older Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, famous scholar, says what prophets do is they are able to envision for people images of what it could look like. Maybe what it isn't quite yet, but what it could be after taking an honest look of what is. Tomorrow our country celebrates the holiday named for one of our, you could call, modern-day prophets, Martin Luther King. And King, so beautifully, as we all know, was masterful at giving a vision, a dream, as he called it, of what the world could look like. And that feels as if that was just automatic to us now, but imagine offering that vision in that moment. Being able to see through the fog of societal evil at that time and moral confusion to, to shine a clear light on how it could look. That was not automatic at the time. Able to cast that vision for us. Well, interestingly, uh, maybe uh, unfortunately, certainly curiously, The speech that I chose to highlight today as I think about the Martin Luther King holiday was not the the one that you're most familiar with about King's incredible dream for us. It's not even that one where on the eve of his death he gives a rousing sermon saying he's been to the mountaintop and he's not going to get there, but we'll get there. In fact, it's not a sermon that sounds like either of those or a speech that sounds like either. 
not in content and not even in tone, not even in cadence. If you listen to King, he almost doubles in words per minute from the beginning to the end of a speech as he sort of builds this crescendo. Not this speech, it's slow. It's plodding. It's methodical. It's heavy. The 50th anniversary of this speech in 2017, the New Yorker described it as searing. It was not applauded at the time, not just by his usual opponents, but by some within the movement, civil rights movements, people who told him to stay in his lane. Preachers are always being told to stay in their lane. This was King's speech condemning the Vietnam War. It wasn't titled that. It was titled A Time to Break Silence, which tells you a little something about his thinking process. That he perhaps didn't want to speak to that. That's always a good sign, by the way, with your prophets. Be very wary of anyone who is eager to tell you that they are chosen, eager to tell you they are a prophet, and eager to tell you everything that's wrong with you. The Bible is not simply a litany of prophets. It's a litany of reluctant prophets because they know the weight of what they're about to do. You don't shake up the world because it's fun. You shake it up because it needs reordering, but you're aware of the toll that that reordering can take. King called speaking out in moments such as this, such as these, a vocation of agony. And in the smallest of ways, I think I know what he means. To have to say to people you love that things aren't the way they ought to be, knowing it will be denounced a vocation of agony. But his love for Jesus and his love for the world in which he lived in his mind gave him no choice but to speak. He had to say something. And what he had to say was sharp. It was cutting. But that's how prophetic speech works. It tries Best it can, flawed as it may be at times, to cut through what is false so that what is more true, what is more light, has a space to shine through. That's how the prophets speak. Did you hear the words of Isaiah? We, we cling to the notion of being known in the womb in that warm image, but what about the image of him saying, God made my mouth like a sharp sword, like a polished arrow. Jesus, too, spoke of bringing a sword. Now, we're not simple. This is not uh, a literal call to violence, a call to arms. This is metaphor. But speaking to the sharpness that speech must have at times, to cut through, to be incisive, to name what is so that something else might be born. And Jesus was well aware that his speech, too, would be divisive. Unity is really good. It's not the only good. It may not even be the highest good. Good is the highest good. And so he chose moments to be cutting, to try to make way for something else. So how do we reconcile these two this really encouraging, uplifting recounting of data, not wishes, data. 
that encourages us about the progress of humanity on the planet. Measure after measure that gives us a boost. And this other perspective of speech that points out what is still broken and says some challenging things, things that make us unsettled and uncomfortable. How do we reconcile the two? We don't. We don't because they don't need to be reconciled. What they need is one another. We need to hold them both in relationship. As Christoph says, too much extreme pessimism leaves us in lost in despair and unable to do anything about it. And too much ungrounded optimism, well, that leaves us in delusion or denial. And as Christians, we sing about the fact that once we were lost, but now we've been found in Christ Jesus. So we cannot give ourselves over entirely to either lost place. But instead, like Christ, be able to look at the worst that the world has to offer. Look it square in the eyes and acknowledge it. And give birth to a new vision of how things could be. To recognize that what seems impossible today, tomorrow, in fact, will be so. Is that not the resurrection? And, and think of these words of Paul that you heard. Paul, who followed Christ with all that he was and all that he had, writes to this little community in Corinth that must have felt like the whole world was against them, that they were the minority, that they weren't going to make it, that they were threatened. And he says, in Christ, you will be given everything you need, all the strength, all the endurance, all the gifts, all the way until the fullness of the way of God is revealed and reigns on this earth. Christ will give you everything you need till the end. And maybe the lesson of today is that the end isn't here yet. As much as some people feel as though it is, as much as maybe all of us feel as it is in one time or another, it's not here. And we don't have to act like that. There's still time. People want to say it's a helpless time or a hopeless time, or maybe it's the perfect time. You can label it however you want. I think the most appropriate description is it's an opportune time. We have opportunities in our lives, in our collective lives, to do what has never been done in the world. What a gift to be alive in this moment. It is an opportune time. They thought of time differently in Jesus' time, in Paul's time. They had different ways of speaking about it. They had the way that we often talk about it, kind of linear time, chronological time. You know, I got up this morning, I had my coffee, I went to church, I fell asleep during the sermon, I went home to the nine-year... Uh, the Greek word for that was chronos, chronological time. It's a quantitative description of time. But then there was a qualitative way of describing time. What the moment called for, how we would label the time. Uh, labels such as harvest time or peace time or mourning time, grieving time. It was a way of naming what the moment called for. They called that kairos comes from the word for sort of potential and possibility. 
And it was a way of recognizing the divine and eternal possibility of every moment. And what wisdom does is it calls us to tap into that sense of eternity and to make this moment pregnant with possibility and to recognize it for what it is and to recognize how precious it is and how it changes the way linear time is fated to unfold. That there is an eternity in this moment that we have that will shape the moments that we will come to have. And with that knowledge, it shifts the way you hear King and you'll notice how often he spoke of time and the urgency of the moment. Not just out of fear of running out, but out of recognition of the possibility held within. So with that in mind, listen to these quotes from that speech. He says this, We are now faced with the facts, my friends, that tomorrow is today. Hear that? We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a thing as being too late. Procrastination is still the thief of time. Life often leaves us standing bare, naked, and dejected with a lost opportunity because I didn't recognize what time it was. The tide in the affairs of men does not remain at flood. It ebbs. We may cry out desperately for time to pause in her passage, but time is adamant to every plea and rushes on. Over the bleached bones and jumbled residues of numerous civilizations are written the pathetic words, too late. But he doesn't stop there. He says this, We still have a choice today. Nonviolent coexistence or violent co-annihilation. We must move past indecision to action. Right there in that speech, like Paul, he summons the encouragement of strength for people to press on into the kairos that we've been given. Says this, now let us begin. Now let us rededicate ourselves to the long and bitter but beautiful struggle for a new world. This is the calling of the sons of God. And our brothers wait eagerly for our response. I presume he's speaking to potential soldiers. Shall we say the odds are too great? Shall we tell them the struggle is too hard? Will our message be that the forces of American life militate against their arrival as full men? as we send our deepest regrets? Or will there be another message of longing, of hope, of solidarity with their yearnings, of commitment to their cause, whatever the cost? The choice is ours. And though we might prefer it otherwise, we must choose in this crucial moment in human history. Couldn't many of those words be spoken to us today? I don't think there's a person here who would deny King's calling. Do we deny our own? Are we reluctant to accept our own? To see what is and what is possible and to step into it? Or is it just too easy to feel helpless? And hopeless. I'm not judging. I, I get there too. But is it too easy to live there and to just wallow in it rather than to get on our feet 
and step into the light. Just think out of the eternal holy moment that is now, what is possible? A year from now, we could be standing here and saying, that was just the best year ever. Again. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? That's not a rhetorical question. Amen.
Gracious one, as we pause to remember the good things in our lives, we give you thanks for the gratefulness, the generosity, the outpouring of support of the members of this congregation and friends of this congregation. We ask that you bless these gifts that they might be used righteously for your service in this corner of the world. We ask these things and all things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As always, there is a lot going on in this beloved community, and the best way to find out is simply by reading your weekly bulletin, by visiting the website, by following us on social media. I want to highlight a few things for you today. Uh, The first is a number of you have received emails that you think are from me. They're not. Uh, asking for help, I don't know, in the form of a gift card or a favor. If you get an email from me asking for something, it will be for a deacon. Um, <laughs> because we are, we are uh, too short for next year's class. Other than that, disregard it. Um, th- unfortunately, there's not a lot we can do. Well, most of my clergy friends have been hit with this scam all over the country. So people mine churches and they... They make a fake address. The way to tell it's for me is it's not my address. So if you look at the website or you look at an email that you know is for me, you'll see it's not the same. So just be careful. I don't think anybody has gotten gotten, but please don't be the first. Um, uh, I think that one's covered. Um, Secondly, uh, anal meeting is in two weeks, two weeks from today. We hope you can be there. It's a chance to review the budget that was approved to... uh, talk about uh, any questions that come up there. Those budgets are available. Um, I'm not sure that the printed ones have shown up yet. No, that's where I'm going next, Martha. Um, but we will have printed versions available, if they're not today, then ASAP, certainly by next week. And they are already available on the website, on the membership section. And I will give anybody the password. I'm not going to do it now because it will be broadcast over the web. But ask me, I'll give you the password. You can look at the budget, and there will be hard copies on site. Um, you vote every year on clergy salaries, that will happen as well. So that's February 2nd, so please check that out. Um, finally, many of you um, loved Val Henderson dearly, and as you know, she died a couple of months ago. Her memorial service will be this Saturday, 10 o'clock, right here, and uh, I hope you can be there to honor her life and to praise God in that setting. With that then, let us rise in body or spirit for our closing hymn number 749. Let me just say a, a moment of a bit of introduction about this hymn. The, the hymn, um, the publishers cut out some things in your version of it that appear in the piano version of it. So there is a five-measure interlude between verses. It'll feel mostly right. I'll cue you in case you feel unsure. <laughs>
A special thanks for our guest musician, Robert, today. We're grateful for your music. I was uh, delicately shown during that closing hymn that our financials are over at the table, so you're welcome to pick one up. Yeah, yeah there's just a few, but we will make more if anybody wants a hard copy. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, I, 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 one of my great joys is greeting you on the way in when you come to church, and, and Eric Sinrod's here, and he mentioned something that he was going to say during Joys and Concerns, but as you know, we didn't do Joys and Concerns today, so I just wanted to, to offer up for him a, a public prayer. Uh, he lost his father uh, suddenly and instantly last week, and we're so sorry, and we love you, and we will hold your family in prayer. Let us not be afraid, friends, even in the midst of cause for despair, to be encouraged, to be uplifted, and to lift one another up. It makes it easier to walk in the light. So as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.